Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. So good to be with you today. I feel like I come home when I come here. Um, it's a joy to be in partnership with you. That's one thing that I think of when I think of River Bluff Church, is that we're partners uh, in, in different ways. One is, is being a part of an association of churches, 82 one of 82 that partnered together in Greater Charleston called the Charleston Baptist Association of Churches. So grateful for that. I lead and direct that ministry, but I, I really help to facilitate and partner with so many pastors. Your pastor is one of those. He sits at a table on our admin team for the CBA, and I'm so thankful that he sits with me on that admin team. So thank you, church. Thank you, elders, for, for leveraging him to help us in the region. Uh, River Bluff Church has been such a great help and blessing in so many other ways, too, and I'm thankful for. So I want to commend you first. I think of Paul's word to Philippians. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I also ask for your prayers because I also work with a guy by the name of Kurt Bradford. And if you know who he... Oh, Kurt, you're here. I didn't see you, brother. I'm so... Oh, let me tell you, I love, love, love the way that God has leveraged uh, you again through your past, your former pastor, Kurt Bradford, into the city as at first a kingdom coach. Well, now he's transitioned to kingdom steward. Isn't that a bigger word and better word? Don't you like that word? Well, steward is because there are so many things to steward in the life of churches and pastors. I am so thankful to, and the privilege to, to meet with Kurt and, uh, and a, on a regular basis to talk about what God's doing around our city. So thank you again, River Bluff Church, for the way you're blessing the region. So I just want to say that to you as a word of testimony. We're also part of a bigger family called the Southern Baptist Convention. In fact, today I'm flying there because of my role here in the city. It's really important that I be there. The only flight that I could get is early. And so if you see Rebecca and I walk out after the message, it's because I've got to get to the airport and I've got to get over to Nashville. I, that bothers me because I like hanging out that's one of the things I love to do. I got a chance to say hello to some of you on the way in. So just know that as we scoot out, that's the only reason why we're scooting, all right? Or else we'd hang out and linger here. River Bluff Church in 2014 was a, was a gift to Rebecca and I in this way. We planted a church called Center Point Church. And when we planted the church, we planned to be in the Center Point area, Center Point Shopping Center where Sam's Club is. You have Center Point Industrial Park. This is the center point of the region. We planted a church and we were ready to go. And then the Lord migrated us down to Citadel Square. Do you all remember that? Those of you here in 2014? Well, Centerpoint then became Citadel Square downtown. And God did an amazing thing and has done amazing things there. The church has been revived, restored from 45 people to now about 500 people. It's amazing what the Lord has done in that amount of time. That's his work, and I rejoice in it with you. You were part of that. Thank you for serving with us in that way. I'm going to share a little today out of this message and text some things that are going on that are new, and you're going to hear center point again because another work has started where we're back in the center point of the city, and you're going to hear about that this morning. But I want to, I want to first talk about how important it is for us to see the kingdom as Jesus sees it, to see the harvest as he sees it. So let's turn to Matthew's gospel, chapter 9, and we'll look at verses 35 to 38. And here's the word of the Lord for us this day. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, 
he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this, familiar, this passage may be familiar to you. Uh, you know, the Christian life's a journey, isn't it? Uh, I feel like in old Pilgrim's Progress, if you remember reading that from John Bunyan, sometime in your Christian experience, you know, Christian is carrying this backpack he calls a burden. And of course, before he becomes to meet Jesus, he doesn't realize that, that it's not for his burden to carry, but he can cast it and get it from Jesus and be free and have salvation. But there's still a backpack we carry, uh, and it's kind of like our spiritual backpack of sanctification, and we put things in it all the time. We read the word, and we put things in it, or we hear the teaching of God's word, we put things in it. But then there's also a pathway, and sometimes on our pathway, in our walk, in our journey, there's a point to pivot. In other words, there's a pathway that turns. And for me and Rebecca and in our lives, about a decade ago, this passage was one of those pivot points for us. In fact, it was one of the pivot points for the disciples. Because right after this, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending them out. So what we're going to see is that Jesus is saying to them, now listen, here is what has been happening. Here's the ministry that has been going on. But I want to make sure you have the right motive as you go out and as I send you out. Because we have ministry to do together. And that's what I want to emphasize at the very beginning of this message. And I hope that you get one thing from it. The kingdom of God is what Jesus was proclaiming. And the kingdom of God belongs to Jesus. It's his. And we are welcome participants and welcome invitees into that through Jesus and his salvation for us. What we'll see off the page of this, of this passage is this. Jesus is not calling us just to do ministry for him. He wants us to do ministry with him. Now you might think, that sounds, that's just kind of an easy little saying. But think about the two prepositions because the trajectory and the way you see it leads you in a different path in the way you use your energy, the way you see God, and the way you follow him. If I'm doing ministry for Jesus, well... My backpack all of a sudden got really heavy. But in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am, I am meek and lowly of heart. So in other words, he's inviting us in to do ministry with him. You see, when you operate in a kingdom reality, it is work but it's a replenishing work. It is not a depleting work. And Jesus calls us into that. And he wants his disciples, before he sends them out, to have the right motive and to know that they're not doing it alone. So I hope today that you receive that encouragement. You and I are not alone. We weren't just called to do something. God did something for us by giving Jesus, and now we gotta do something back for him. That's called a debtor's ethic. That's not the gospel. It's not. What is the gospel is because I've been saved and brought into a family. I have the joy and privilege to make that family and the values and that kingdom known to everyone around me. So Jesus says, I want you to see my example that I've set. So let's look at it at the beginning here. And the first thing I see in this passage about the kingdom of God is that, as Abraham Kuyper said, the prime minister of the Netherlands and theologian, 
what an amazing thing to take the secular and the sacred and merge it together like that. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence of which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. In other words, yes, it's about the harvest and it's plentiful, but we can't start there. We have to start with the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom is on the move. It's constantly on the move. And it's expressed in many ways. I love it when Jesus in the gospel says, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. And then he would illustrate it. Remember, he stopped by a fig tree or he stopped by this particular thing and he demonstrated and show and example it. See, that's the important thing is that the kingdom of God is always breaking in to this human existence constantly. One day... It'll, it'll be the constant reality. But until then, we have work to do with Jesus. So I love it in Colossians. It says that all things were created through him and for him. And in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. See, Jesus' example to them what it really looks like to live as a missionary harvest laborer from a kingdom that is everlasting and filled with blessing and joy. And it broke in. So before they go, he wanted them to hear it. So the first thing we see about Jesus' example is this. He engaged it. He engaged it. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to engage into the work of the harvest around us from the kingdom reality. First of all, in the everyday stuff of life, in verse 35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. That, that word throughout is very important. Throughout meaning everywhere, right? We don't need to dissect that word. But in the region of Galilee at this time, there were probably about 3 million people living in the region. Around 204 cities and villages, so history tells us that Jesus moved around and did ministry in. If you read chapter 9 and the chapters before that, you can find a bit of the journal that Jesus was on. And it was exhausting, expansive work in this whole region. The first thing I think it's important about that is we're called to enter in. We're called to enter in. In the everyday stuff of life, he went everywhere. So cities and towns, you can imagine... He entered into workplaces. He entered into communities. He entered into families. He entered into situations on the street. He entered into everything. So if we're going to follow and be like Jesus on that journey to be a laborer like him, coming from a kingdom reality, then the first thing is we enter and we engage the everyday stuff of life. Second thing is among the everyday needs of people. Look what it says. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. Do you notice the word every there? Throughout, every. That doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean the ones that he could get to. It means every affliction and every disease that Jesus was around, he was healing. Can you imagine if Jesus came during the pandemic and just said, gone. <laughs> it's wiped out. It's no more. What about cancer? What about paralysis? What about all the diseases and issues that we see in our lives and we face? Now, what's good about that is that Jesus demonstrated the power of God and the kingdom of God and who he was, that he truly is the son of God. What's bad about that is everyone that was healed died. 
Think about Lazarus for a minute, right? He's raised from the grave. He's alive. And then he dies again. You think, well, that's bad news. Tell us the good news. Well, the good news is, yes, he received life. And so did those that were diseased and sick. What was Jesus doing? He was demonstrating what a perfect kingdom really looks like. One where you can be a part of a family in a scenario of life where there is no disease, there is no affliction. There is a perfect king who judges justly over all things. Where there's injustice, there is no injustice because Jesus is perfect in every way. So he's demonstrating a breakthrough picture. That's why I love the Lord's Prayer. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. See, the gospel of Jesus is to save, it's to rescue, it's to set us apart. But it is also the reality that demonstrates and shows us what the king is really like. That that perfect relationship with God and us because of Jesus, our mediator, that we have all that we need. And one day there will be no separation. There will be no breach. There will be no context that I'm constantly struggling to figure out, Lord, am I in control or are you in control? It goes away. That same gospel, that same kingdom is a reality today that one day will be perfect when everything is set. We've been, we've been delivered from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, but we still have the presence of sin, don't we? One day, that will be gone. And what a day that will be. Jesus is demonstrating that in a glimpse story, in a view, here's what it looks like. In other words, you're coming from something that won't fail. We're part of a, a message and a ministry that will not fail. It will be accomplished. We engage it just as Jesus did. You know, the synagogue is amazing because in the synagogue, that is where it was like a community center. It was not just the place of teaching on Sunday. It was a place where people came on Monday to learn and be taught in school. Or when there was sickness, they would come to the synagogue and be prayed over for healing. It was the place by which a lot of life took place in and out of that synagogue space. So again, we see that Jesus moved among people in everyday life. You know, in Greater Charleston, we have 802,000 people that live here. It wasn't long ago that it was really in the 700s, and now it's 802. By the year 2028, there'll be 1 million people living in Greater Charleston. Be encouraged. Traffic's going to get better, depending on how you see it. <laughs> it's going to get worse. Now, you look at that and you go, man, this is bad. I mean, it, it's just not like it used to be. This is not the Charleston I knew. Yeah, you're right. It's not the one that I knew when I came in 2003. But how about at the fact that, that all these people are coming in who don't know Jesus? You know, 38 people a day moving in, 55% of those have no faith background. So when they come to Charleston, they're not looking, they're not, they're looking for, yes, a job and looking for a house and looking for school, but church is not on their list. It's just not on there. So the front door of the church, yes, needs to be at the front door. But we need to begin to say, Lord, let my front door be the front door of the church, a place maybe where someone won't come the first time, but a place where they can connect. We can enter in. You know, we ask the question, how's my church doing? It's what we've all been asking through the pandemic. How are we doing? But we can never stop asking the other question, like two sides of a coin. How's the city doing? In other words, if our church is growing, if River Bluff is busting out the seams, and we're high-fiving each other, and God's moving, it's awesome, we need to celebrate that constantly, like every church. 
At the same time, if the community around us is worse and more broken and there's more crime and darkness all around us, we can't say satisfied. When churches do that, that's the beginning of a decline. That's a viewing of having a myopic view of what the harvest is. It's out around us. And Jesus is saying, engage it. The second thing he says is to see it, which is in verse 36. He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. He saw the crowds and had compassion for them. What do you see in front of you? You know, as I serve as director of missions, I want to tell a story about one church that exactly experienced the thing that I said we hope we don't experience, is they got a myopic view of the community. Remount Baptist Church was planted in 1947. And as a result of that, did great ministry in that community. In fact, there are many churches around Park Circle that were planted during that time. The area changed in 1996 when the shipyard closed. And as it closed, the whole community changed. The dynamics, the economics, the, the diversity, everything changed. That's not bad. That's, that's just part of what happens. It's good. In other words, the harvest is just going to look different now. But what happens a lot of times, if we get insulated, we don't begin to adapt and contextualize to that community around it. And so the church declined. 45 people said, we don't want the church to die. It's the same story as Citadel Square when Center Point 1.0 <laughs> went down to Citadel Square and helped to, to strengthen it. Well, Citadel Square said, we want to help other churches get replanted. So Citadel Square sent Rebecca and I and Adrian and Lindsay, my son-in-law and daughter, to go as missionaries out to Remount Road to help replant a church with another team of people. Now, I'm saying that all to you to say, not look at us. I'm just saying that it takes for all of us to say, Lord, what do you want of me and how can I engage it? But help me first to see it. I've got to see what you see. In the Park Circle area, there's 21,000 people. There's about 500 people attending church on any given one Sunday that are related to our association. Which means that we're woefully behind if we just marked church attendance, right? Which is not the only measure of impact, right? But it is an indicator. We have work to do. And so as a result of that, what we've seen is that God has brought together a diverse team of leaders at Center Point Church, at Remount 2.0, that is now planting and reaching out in that community. 45 people that said, we don't want the church to die on us, is now around 100 people saying, we're moving forward in Jesus' name. That happened this past July. So I rejoiced during a pandemic that God did something amazing. It was the worst time to do something like this. But isn't that amazing what God does? He, God's not restricted to time and circumstance, is he? He just does what he wants to do. He's going to break the kingdom in. Now, that's just a story, just one story. And I rejoice. And you've been part of that with me as you've prayed. You know, the word compassion that Jesus uses here is amazing. It means to suffer with. So not only should we see the need, but we need to learn how to suffer with. When I hear the stories of River Bluff Church and the ways you're reaching out into the community and loving people well, I see that compassion in you. You are an example. You, you are a blessing in the way that you serve in this community. Could you do more? Absolutely. I hope this fuels you to do more. But I want to say to you, thank you for being willing. Thank you for willing to pray for us in 2014. Thank you for being a part of the story even today for sharing Pastor Joe and Pastor Kurt. Thank you as a church for giving to the association. 
so that we can see more stories like this happen. We're in this together. I love that. You know, the other thing that Jesus points out is that in verse 36 is that we're also, we're called to value what we see. We're called to value it, meaning that within everyday rhythms of our life, Jesus saw this in his eyes. When he saw them and had compassion, here's what he saw. They were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. You don't have to lead something dramatic and dynamic in ministry in order to say, I'm helping the helpless and harassed. All you have to do is reach out to somebody right next to you because I'll guarantee you, we all have brokenness within us. But especially those that don't know the kingdom, that don't know this savior, right? Now they're not gonna wear on their shirt, I'm helpless and harassed, come help me, right? That's not gonna happen. But it's gonna either show in the way that they're struggling with life or it may not even appear to be there at all. But I'm telling you, and you and I both know this, that without Jesus, everyone is helpless and harassed and like sheep without a shepherd. Now, they might be hiding behind their own functional savior that they've made of themselves. And let me tell you, we're not exempt from that either, are we, as believers? I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord. I'm going to cast my care on you, Lord. I want to enter into your rest. But then don't we tend to say, okay, Lord, I've got this, though. And we carry it. We pick it up. And sometimes we begin to find ourselves and our pack back gets heavier because we've become our own functional savior to fix the things that are broken in our life when we know only Jesus can do that. Yes, we are engaging it. Yes, we're taking responsibility for it. You know, one thing that we've seen at Centerpoint Church, the new replanted church at Remount Church, every six weeks, every seven weeks, we offer a class called Families Count. Families Count is a class for guardians, parents that have had their children separated from them by DSS because of alleged or actual abuse. It's a tough time. It is a time of incredible brokenness and pain. Well, the court orders those guardians to go through parenting classes as well as other classes. Well, a few years ago, Lifeline Adoption Agency said, we want to get on the list for a class. And the judge in the court here said, well, tell me about your class. All right, well, our class is going to teach parents on how to be parents and how to love their children well, and we're going to share Jesus every night. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, this ain't going to happen. The court said, we can't meet the need now. Come on, just bring it. Uh, well, we want to feed them dinner, and we want to provide child care for the kids that are still in the family, and we're going to do it for seven weeks. Bring it. The need is so great. Bring it. So now, parents have that as an option. So, East Cooper Baptist Church a few years ago started the class. Since then, they've had now, I think, seven classes. Now, they're hosting it at Remount Church because the majority of parents and families live close by to that central area. Did you know that since we've been there, three of these classes have been taking, care, taking place and something new has started? A life together group, a community group, for those parents going through the prescribed required class have the option to keep meeting in community if they so choose. Did you know that every other Monday night this group meets together 30 parents who don't have a church home? In fact, they've never, some of them never even been in church. But they found something. They discovered something. 
that there's a love, there's community, and there's life, and there's forgiveness that they've never known before. Some of them are still, listen, this Jesus thing, man, you can keep talking all day, but I'm not sure about that. But you people, I want to be here. They don't have a chance, by the way, right? <laughs> the reality is God's, God's drawing, drawing people into himself through his people. We've seen some lives transformed. Just in the short time the church has been replanted, we've just engaged this ministry. And what God has done for us has been able not only for us to see it, but to value the harvest around us. We can value it practically. You don't have to have a families count ministry, right? You can value it by just simply saying, Lord, who are three people close to me but far from you that I can pray for every day? Just three people. Who are two of the three that I can get to know by name personally? And maybe who's one person this year that I can hear their story and I'll share my story about how you changed me? That's a, that's a tangible goal for anybody in this room. We can start praying for three people. We can start engaging with two people, get their name on your contact list. And then maybe one person, just one person you'd say, I'm gonna get together with and connect with. Now, I feel in some ways I'm preaching to a choir here because I know y'all lean forward in these kind of things. I know your pastor draws you in, the elders, the leaders of our church, this church, the staff. I know that's in this culture. But I don't know about you, but I'm trying to figure out how do you set the reset button in this re-emerging thing that we're kind of beginning to see a little bit of dust settle on COVID? How do we get back to what's normal? Well, maybe this is part of that reset button for you. I know it's been one for Rebecca and I. We just moved from Mount Pleasant to Hanahan. So we're Hanahanians now. And we lived in Mount Pleasant because we worked at East Cooper Baptist Church in 2003. Well, just this past year, we moved to Hanahan. All the neighbors that we got to know, began to build relationships with, now they've changed. But now we have new neighbors that we're connecting with and we're praying, God, give us an opportunity to get to know their story and hear it. And it's been amazing, even through COVID, that we've had a chance to interact on the street and have some opportunity to connect. That's not to say, hey, Craig, that's great for you. I'm so glad. I'm proud of you. I'm saying to you, I have as much responsibility as you do in saying, Lord, how can I engage the people that you have put around me? And to remember that you chose my neighbors for me, I didn't. You chose them. So how do I engage them? The other thing I think it's important that we see in this text is that we have to own it. In verse 37, Jesus says, the, the harvest is plentiful, but laborers are few. And the way we can own it is through everyday dependency and trust. Meaning this again, that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest and we depend on him. The other aspect is that we also have interdependence in the way that we serve with others around us. We can't do it alone. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's not saying, be the laborer and go for it, and I hope you do your best because I'll give you a lot of rewards, but at the end of your journey, you'll get a lot of prizes at the end of the journey. That's not what's going on. He's saying, no, we're laboring together, and there's many of us, and there needs to be an interdependency that we have. One thing I found there on Remount Road is one other thing that has not been happening is that churches have not been working together collaboratively. Every time I come and see the area of accountability in your map in the back and I walk through your hallway, I love the DNA that's set here and being set here. And that is that you cannot reach that area of accountability by yourself. It's gonna require you and other churches that say, we need to see the harvest, we need to value it, we need to own it together. We're seeing that in Park Circle. In fact, every month, twice a month, we're praying with four other pastors that are in our association 
And those forest pastors are leaning in so much and they're saying, what can we do to do things together because we desperately need each other? 21,000 people, around 500 attending our churches. We have a vast harvest around us. So pray for that collective of harvest laborers that we would labor in Jesus' name and that we would see the experience of what God is doing in and through us. Just this past Christmas, one thing we did right away was let's come together and let's do something for the teachers in our schools. Have teachers had a hard time this year? Can I get an amen for that? That's been the toughest job, right? Education. How about if we engage that together? Let's, let's just pour a cup of cool water on them. We've not done it before. Let's do it together as churches to say, we're the, we're the church of Park Circle and we're gonna just show love to you. And that's what we did at Christmas time. Now again, not a trophy I'm showing or a plaque that we've earned, but I'm saying is that there's just got to be that intentionality that we all have to have. My prayer, as I think for the director of missions in our, in our region, is that I, I would love to see in all the regions of greater Charleston this kind of leaning in, this kind of map making that says, in this radius, we're saying we're going to own the lostness here. So I want to encourage you with what you're doing, but I also want to fan the flame in you and say, keep doing it. In Jesus' name, keep doing it. But remember that your doing is not for Jesus. Please don't do anything for him. Do it with him. Do it with him. And maybe today it's that, that's the point. Is that, you know what, Lord? I feel like I've been doing a lot of things just for you. My energy, my time, my ideas, my thoughts. And, and I need to step back and say, Lord, I'm not going to shrink back and not do something. But I want to engage what you're doing here. How do I see what you're doing and engage that? That's the thing I think that he makes very clear as we look at the last point, which is verse 38. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, every, every morning at 9.38, Matthew 9.38, at 9.38 we set our alarms to go off at Centerpoint Church, and everyone in the Park Circle churches now are doing it. One church decided 10 o'clock's better because in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, you know, but that to me is kind of lazy. Don't you think it's kind of lazy that they're doing it later, not earlier? Oh, never mind. I'm not going to judge it. 9.38, 10 or 2, doesn't matter what time. We set our alarms, then our alarms go off, um, kind of like this. Yep, there it is. And so, not that it's 10 or 2, it's just that my alarm's saying, Craig, you need to wrap up here. So, um, but 9.38, their alarms go off. And what we do in that moment, no matter what we're doing, is that all the alarms go off and we just start praying. We had someone in our church recently told us a story. They said that uh, they, they work out of a cubicle and uh, the alarm was going off at 9.38, you know, every day. And well, one of the coworkers that's not a church goer, she says, hey, Debbie, Debbie, what are you doing? Like, why is your alarm going off every morning at 9 It's annoying. She says, well, I'm praying with my church because we're praying for God to rise up more laborers to send out into the harvest. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. So she shared Jesus with her. Oh, that's great for you. That's not for me. So a few days later, the alarm goes off in the cubicle and Debbie wasn't at her desk. And the coworker went and grabbed and grabbed her phone, and she said, "Hey, Debbie, where are you? Debbie, come here. You better come here. Your alarm's going off. You need to pray." <laughs> you talk about accountability, right? What's interesting about that is it was around Christmas time, and everyone's giving gifts at the office. This one coworker took a gift, wrapped it up, and handed it to Debbie. Debbie opened it up, and opened up a journal. She said, you know, 
since you're doing all this praying, I just thought maybe you want to write some of those prayers down that you've been praying. Now, what's happening there? Someone is being drawn by someone else who's making just something. It's an example. You, you pick whatever, right? An application where someone is saying, I'm going to intentionally make my way to be a kingdom laborer, and one way I want to express it is this way. And for me, what's happening for Debbie and for some of us is that it's drawing people into what's going on and why. Well, God knows who's around us, right? He picked the people that's in our path, whether people you know or you don't know. And as he allows them to cross our paths, we have an opportunity to engage with them. Listen, the Lord of the harvest is wooing people in, just like he did when he was on the earth. He's doing the same thing. And as he does it, the question is, are we ready? Like, maybe we've been doing it for so long that we're just weary and tired and that kind of flat-footed now are back on our heels instead of on the balls of our feet saying, Lord, at such a time as this, we need it. You know, at such a time as this, if we ever needed, if we ever needed middle spaces to connect with people that are in polar opposites, it's today, is it not? Now, I don't mean a middle space in the sense of compromise and you give that and I'll give this. But what I mean is that when I see Jesus in his ministry, he sits at tables with people that shouldn't be together. They just shouldn't be together. You have a Pharisee who's inviting him into his house. And you got a woman behind him that are washing his feet who's from the streets. Th th that shouldn't coexist, right? Based on moral and ethics and you know, political correctness and all that. But what does he do? He wants to reach that person behind him as much as he wants to reach that Pharisee across the table from him. So the question for us is, where's the middle spaces? What, what if God wants me to sit with someone this week that doesn't vote like me? Ugh. Or doesn't see the things that I see? Or, or, doesn't, or, or doesn't talk like I talk? And the, the danger for us as a church, the church is to begin to enter into this subculture of language and culture that all of a sudden, I just want to be around the same thing that seems familiar to me. And yes, by, by all means, we need to connect in community and engage together as the kingdom and as community. But we should never come to the place that we're creating a subculture that's out of culture, that doesn't engage culture. If so, then we're, we're, we're on the wrong path of what Jesus is saying, enter in. Own it, engage it, pray for it. And if we ever need a time, sorry about that, that we need to see people as helpless and harassed, it's today. It's today. We, we're in a first world country, and I know we've been inconvenienced and we've suffered. People have lost their lives from this COVID. It's been terrible. It's been terrible. But it's still the reality is that around us are people who are broken and lost and have a worse condition than COVID. It's, we, we, we have to make sure that we don't get caught into the trap of not seeing as Jesus sees the culture. What I love about this church is that you have a heart for that. And you're engaging it. Don't stop. Don't stop. And because you're engaged in it, let's do more. Let's do more. Pray for people in your church who haven't come back. Pray for them. Pray for people who aren't here yet. 
But when you pray for them, pray for them to engage what you're engaging. Don't just say, come back and fill the seats because it's so much better when you're here. Yes, by all means, that's important. But it's not ultimate. What's ultimate is what happens tomorrow morning. You've got a domain that God's put you in to serve, business, education, military, medicine, whatever it is, you pick it. And Jesus says, it's mine, I want it. And he's put you there to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like tomorrow morning. So when Pastor Joe gives you a message, don't just take it as something to put in your backpack. Take it out and say, what's the compass for this week? And how do I engage into my domain to see every man, woman, and child saturated with the gospel? Like Jesus went through every town and village. He wanted to saturate every life. And that's what he's calling us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living. Thank you, God, that your spirit is moving. Thank you that your kingdom has come and it is coming. Thank you, God, that in your word today as we look at you, we see not only the words that you commended and you exhorted, but we see the example that you provided. It was an example to show what is it like to engage in every life. God, we know, I know that I forget. I get comfortable. I also, Lord, sometimes get myopic in my view. Help me, Lord, to engage with people around me that you put around me. Help me, Lord, to love my neighbor as myself, as you commanded. But I don't have to do it for you. I want to do it with you. So God, send us out. Lord, empower us. But let us not lose sight that we're coming from a kingdom and, and coming from a reality that will not fail. It's the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. We might not see the results here, but you said that your kingdom is everlasting. You said that your kingdom will come. You said, Lord, that you want the earth to reflect what your kingdom is like today. Do that in our small footprint spaces. For your name and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.